0: We go home one of two different ways. We either go by way of the grave or go by way of rapture. And I'm telling you, as Bill and I were talking a little bit earlier, I don't know that the rapture's not coming quick. The world we live in, the mess it's in, we have lots and lots of things to be prayerful about. But if you take your Bibles, we're still in the book of uh, Ephesians. About the whole armor of God, we're wrapping up this thing called prayer. But I want to back up in Ephesians and read a prayer of Paul's. So I'm going to start with uh, chapter three at verse 14, but we're, our emphasis is Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18. We'll get to it in a moment. But the prayer that Paul prays, it's in Ephesians, four, uh, chapter 3, 14 through 21. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye may, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, According to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the, church of, in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's pray. God, as we're here today to look at that last piece of armor, the offensive piece of armor, our weapon Lord, as prayer, Lord, as we wrap that up today, Lord, as we look to that, let us be people of prayer, Lord, that we'll exceedingly and abundantly do everything that you ask, Lord, that we can be found faithful. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, Paul urged his readers at Ephesus to, to walk worthy of the vocation where in, we are called. And I want us to compare today, are we walking worthy of this calling? He points out something about the calling, and it—and really what's so amazing about it is, is, is Paul was talking over 2,000 years ago. But when I read these little bullet points that come out of there, it sounds just like today. Isn't it amazing how relevant the Bible is? So what he goes on to point in that that was Ephesians four one I just kind of quoted a little bit of that. He says that walking in a worthy vocation that we're called in. He says, what does that look like? To walk in a cultural in a culture that we not we are not a part of. We are actually aliens here. If we're walking in the Spirit and we're walking worthy of the calling, we're not actually one of the guys or one of the gals or one of the group or one of the whatevers and all the, the weird stuff that's going on. But when we walk and when we talk and when we speak, we seem like we're not from around here because we talk the way the Bible says talk. We talk with clarity. We, brought, we talk with common sense. We talk with biblical sense. So we're to walk in a, cultural, in a culture to us that is alien to us. And I hope you feel that somewhat today in in the world you live in during a given week that you sort of stick out, and I'm not talking about in necessarily a good way. You just kind of stick out. You're not with the rest of them. You don't necessarily do the things they do. And, and they want to say, how's your weekend Well, you'll give a, a, a bullet list of things or something, and they'll talk about something that involves things they shouldn't be doing. Just to put it kind of... Got, Kind of broad like that. So we are supposed to walk in a culture that we're actually alienated from. We're not like those people. Paul also, he said, we're supposed to walk alongside others who are part of the family of God. That's the fellow believers in a church that is made up of people that are not just like us. If you think about it, the church, when you get into a church that's cliquish, what I call cliquish, the church has lots of the same people in it, or same people types, and the same um, social and economic and, and things like that. You get into one of those clicky things. And if you come in and, and you're a believer, but you're, say for instance, from the wrong side of town, or, or you're not in that same area that they're clicking, then you're not considered part of the group. And that's a problem, just to let you know. That's a problem. But, the people of God will be one day from all points of the world. All social classes. So think about it. We're de- we'll have people, there'll be people in heaven that have very different backgrounds than, for instance, say we do. Some have had a lot better and some had some worse. They're going to be different. But when we can come together as a church... And when we come together beside our fellow believer in this world that we live, it shouldn't matter their background, their age, their stage in life, any of those things. They shouldn't get in our way. We're brothers and sisters in arms in this world and trying to be aliens and reach others for Jesus' sake. So to walk worthy of that framework of our everyday lives, it tends to be a challenge sometimes, but it's that walk that show people that there's something different about us. And then we have a chance to tell it. So, so we're to walk in this family, talking about this gospel family. Even within the marriage and raising up of children, they should be raised up in a godly fashion. The marriage should be one ordained by God, not somebody else. All that sort of thing, we're to walk in that uh, renewness of life and in that oneness within the body of the church. He points out in in this chapter 6 that we're, we're focusing in that we're really walking around in a war zone. There is a war for your soul. There's a war for everybody's soul. And we're walking around in a war zone. So we're to put on this armor we've been talking about for quite a few months and we're to put it on and to wear it and to walk around and be that person we need to be. And when we see others, we're to join with them and, and have a good bond of friendship, not alienate the other brothers and sisters in Christ, but to, but to not, not ostracize them by any stretch, but to bond with them because we have one God that saves all and, and praise God for that. So we need to make sure we put on that armor of God. So Paul's making it really clear in Ephesians that we should have this armor on and that we should go about in prayer. We've talked about it last Sunday, and we'll talk about it again this Sunday. The verse, the key verse that we're bouncing off of is, is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, Praying always, with all prayer and supplication, in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints. What is a saint? You think about the saints, you think about people. In, in the New Testament, a saint is a believer. So all y'all, all y'all that can say for sure that you're saved, t- tell me out loud, I'm a, saint. I'm a saint. See, you're saints. The believers in Christ are saints. It's the saints he's talking about. So, and we're to be set apart because we're those holy saints here on earth walking that walk and talking that talk talk that reflects our knowledge of being redeemed and justified through faith to having a home in heaven. That's what our job is. So, So he says here, Paul says here that we're supposed to be praying unto the spirit and watching for all the preservation the supplications for all saints i e christians no matter how old you are either most of the time you consider a saint somebody with white hair right but saint is a believer okay saints a believer so he issued paul issued the call for the saints to be prayer warriors? I don't want you to answer this out loud, but but the question begs, am I, are you a prayer warrior for someone, for the church, for me, the prayer list? Are we that prayer warrior? So, what, what I love about the Bible is how relevant it is and how long it was written. The book is alive. It comes to us. And what, that's what I love about it. So Paul says he don't want to ever let the Ephesian church get the idea that he's not praying for them. So know, know this, what I do, and I'm going to be blunt, it's not as regular as it should be, so I'm not going to say every day, that'd be a bald-faced lie. But quite frequently, and with a lot of regularity, all you are prayed for. I have a list. I go down by rows. And I'm a visual person. I remember where everybody sits. Most of you sit in the same place. It's easy. (laughs) So I know where you're at. But just in prayer, start with the first row. I generally start from right to left. I don't know why I always start with Mr. Bizzle, but I go this way, and then I'll poof, choo, 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 and then I'll jump over here, choo, choo. And I'll get you, if you haven't been here a while long, as you're sitting about the same place, I'll put you in that, that praying order, if you will. But one of the fallacies of sitting on the back row is sometimes I fall asleep before I get to the end. So if you want to be prayed more, you might want to get on the front row. I'm just picking at you. But anyway, it's just something to think about. That's just something to think about. Now, we love you on all the rows, don't, rows, don't get me wrong. But wouldn't it be great if Briar Branch regularly, regular means daily, if we're talking about, hey, I prayed for you yesterday, I prayed for you last night, wouldn't this church be so much closer than it is? Wouldn't this church be maybe burdened for the same burdens? We could have a oneness of spirit. That's what's being in the family of God, that's the job of the saints. We're to do that. We're to usher in the kingdom here on earth. What does that mean? Is that we should walk the walk, talk the talk, spread the love, stay true. Walk worthy. That's sort of it. That's our marching orders. So we need to be in no doubt of what Paul's relationship to this church at Ephesus and what we should, I should to you, you should to me and to the church. It is absolutely relevant today. Absolutely. So we pray at all the time. Now there was a story told, don't know the validity of it. It may be false, but it sounds real good. We'll say it anyway. There was a story told about a man found dead. He's about 83 years old. He was in his bedroom. Story goes on to tell he was fully dressed in a suit, had a tie on, was kneeling on the floor in front of his bed. Story goes on to say when they moved his body, they found underneath him a Bible and a prayer list. A Bible. And a prayer list. And the caption goes on to state, what a testimony. What a testimony. Some of our, some of us are prayer warriors to people. And if you think about it, what an amazing privilege that I get and that you have to pray for somebody here in the church. What a privilege that is. That we can go before a holy God and say, you know. I want somebody's on my mind. I I just want to lift them up to you, Lord. Lord, that's called supplication. That's what that is, a big fancy biblical word. But it means praying for others on behalf to God. It's an awesome responsibility and it's an awesome privilege that we can do that. Do you know that you can help everybody in this church do a better job at what they do, the people that do things, by praying for them? lifting them up. It's amazing to think about it. So we need to make sure we're doing that. Pray all the time, Paul says, continually. Now you can't walk around in prayer with your eyes closed. You'll walk into a wall somewhere, right? So you can't do that. So what does he mean? So Paul's not suggesting that I just, I'm walking around and I'm praying and have got my eyes shut and everything I bounce into, I just kind of roll off like one of those new vacuum cleaners and go somewhere. He's not talking about that. We can utter a prayer See, the beautiful thing about God is He doesn't need a microphone. He doesn't need an FM transmitter to hear us. He knows our very thoughts. So all we have to do is have somebody on our mind. You know, a lot of the older folks, they would say, well, I've had so-and-so. I've had a grandchild on my mind. Let Let me put that in Bladen County English. They've been praying for that child. That's what it means. So we can be in the spirit by just having people on our minds throughout the day. And, and, and I'm not talking about necessarily just stopping, halting service, saying, let's pray. So Paul's not talking about that because that really limits your day. He's talking about a continual mode of prayer for people. And it's really not optional. We are to be people of prayer. It's our, one of our only uh, offensive weapons in this whole armor of God. Is knowledge of the Word of God and prayer, and 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 God's really good. He he. This thing right here, y'all may not have liked it, or you may have. But literally, it happened yesterday in a car. In the car, it come over the radio, and Lynn like the jump to jump out of seat. She said, "That's a good song." I said, "It's an amazing song. It is the Lord's Prayer put to music, and it's fairly new. You may not even know it, but." But uh, if you're on social media, she put the YouTube video of it up, the official video of the song. It's really neat, it's that version. But it's a good song to just remind us and to get us in the frame of mind to be a prayer warrior, to be a saint that we should be walking worthy. So Paul recognized the fact, and really a being faithful out loud, their prayer was audible, a lot of them. When he wrote those prayers, their prayers were to be read out at the church. They didn't have internet or phones. You couldn't just call in and say, put me on the speaker, I'm going to pray for you. That ain't what he did. He wrote a letter mailed it to the church. And what I read earlier in Ephesians 4 was a letter that was written or read in church where Paul wasn't present. It was a prayer for Paul that he penned down and give to him. So we are to pray audibly, often as we do, unaudibly. All prayer. So think about it. The second one of the odds we talked about last week is with all prayer. You know, the important, now there's an acronym that's been out forever. There is, it goes two different ways it's ACTS, A C T S, or if you like CATS, you can do CAT. Just switch A and T, it's the same thing. And what it is, it is a model, or if you will, an outline of what a prayer should be. I'm not talking about necessarily corporate prayers that we do here in church. I'm talking about the private ones. And I'm going to go through them. But again, ACTS, A-C-T-S, first one, A. A stands for adoration. That we come to Jesus literally just to say, I love you, Jesus. Thank you. Adoration for him. Illustration. Think about it. Y'all that have uh, children that's off at college, maybe one of them called you one morning real early and said, hey, mom, dad, whatever, hey, parent, let's do that for generic, whoever it was. I just want to tell you, I love you, got to go, bye, poof. Didn't that just throw a shot of adrenaline in you? So that's adoration. Your child called you just to say, I love you, thank you. That's adoration. So we should come before God the same way. Second one is C, confession. That's why sometimes the cat's better than the ax. You might want to confess first. But anyway, second one is confession. Recognizing that repentance is not something really that we've done once and done, though justification is, but repentance is an ongoing thing. Even saints have problems. We have problems as saints, so we have confessions. If I paraphrase something that Isaiah said, it kind of would go like this. He was talking to God in the course of a day. This is sort of paraphrased from Isaiah 6 5. But it says this I confess to you, Father, that I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst the people of unclean lips. You can read the way the Bible actually reads if you want to read Isaiah 6 5, but that's sort of a paraphrased version. T for thanksgiving. You ever, you know, if you sat down and actually made you out a, a list of what you should be thankful for? Make sure you got breathing. Make sure you got that on there. Make sure you want not put heartbeat. Make sure a clarity of mind. All that. Make sure you write all that because he controls it all. So, we're to make sure that we lift up thanksgiving to him. You know, if you think about the old song, it's a worship course. I enter the gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I enter this courts with praise. This is the day the Lord has made. We should have. Y'all don't know that song? Well, we might work on that one later. It's an old one. This is a day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's sort of the attitude, being thankful. So, you know, really, the real test of whether you have a thankful heart or not is where you can figure out something to be thankful for. If you were saying, I don't get, i got nothing. You're not very thankful. Somehow or another, you've figured out that all this you can do is you've done on your own power. You had not figured out who's given you that ability to do it. Once you do, you've got a lot to thank him about i got gas in the tank, though it keeps going down every time I drive it, but it's okay. i got a job that I put gas back in it. I've got insurance so I can keep it. I've got a job I can go to. I've got health that I can get out of bed. You know, all these things, they're a gift. Because we probably know people that are less, less of that. Some people can't get out of bed. Some people have no legs to get out of bed that work. So we are to be thankful. But we're also to look after the others. So supplication. Number S supplication. It's really a petition, but you can't get any letters that have a P in it like that. So, so supplication is a good one to put in it. But really, a supplication or a petition is a expression of a need that you have. So it's okay to ask God for stuff, if you use the uh, Lord's Prayer. Give us stuff that furthers your kingdom. Is sort of the things that it asks for, but give us this thing. So. You know, Matthew 7, 7, that Jesus told them to knock. See, we could come to God and acknowledge. That is, it's entirely legitimate to ask or to knock and seek. And you find that in Matthew, Jesus talking to the disciples. Chapter 7, verse 7, we see that. He bids to come with us exactly what's going on. We tell Him what's going on. We confess to Him what we need to confess, and the things that are burdening us, we lift it up to Him. That's supplication. You know, sometimes it's big things that are bothering you, sometimes it's the little things. We read something that uh, Daniel did. Daniel, and this is verse chapter 9 in Daniel, verses 18 and 19. He comes to God and he says, This, O oh my God, incline thine ear in here, open thy eyes and behold our desolation and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness but for thy great mercies, O Lord. Hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord. Hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for the city and thy people who are called by thy name. You see the significance of that prayer to God versus a lot of prayers we do. He's not necessarily concerned about himself. But that's okay to be concerned about yourself. Don't get me wrong. But that ought not to be the primary thing. You've got a lot of other things to be thankful for, too. So he's not necessarily concerned about himself, he's concerned about God himself and God getting glory. Now that's really countercultural. cultural You know that for my life, for your life to go around and God get all the glory really leaves me in a bad place, don't it? I don't self-promote if God gets all the glory. I promote God. So make sure you know who you're you're actually praying for you, and you can tell it in prayers. A lot of times it, verbal ones, will. if you hear somebody praying, you'll see what's on their heart a lot of times. And if it's a bullet list of things that are not going on, they want to change his mind, then you don't have the kingdom that we talked about last Sunday. You don't really have the kingdom goal in your mind as a saint to to pray for the furtherance of the kingdom and that you be part of it by your actions, by what you do, by the job you do, by the people you meet that, that enable you to be part of that awesome army that will gather together one day a great company before him. So learning to pray by the Holy Spirit and guided by what the Scripture says will really focus us, focus our eyes on what the gospel really says and, and, and making sure God gets the glory. Because it ain't all about us, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm not going to tell you that's all about you because it ain't. It's all about Jesus and we're to give him glory for that. I'm sure you've said something in the past. Think about what um, the the disciples asked him. They said, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. They asked the question. It's okay to do that. What's funny about it is if you think about what Nehemiah said about his prayer in Nehemiah 1. I'm going to read one verse. Nehemiah says this. He's In the immediate response to the condition, when he found out about the condition of God's people in Jerusalem, he said this. Nehemiah 1.4, he says, I sat down and wept and mourned for certain days. That means more than one. Fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah did. And if you know the story, God gave Nehemiah a lot more than money in his pocket because he didn't have naturally any resources to get everything that he was given to go back and build the walls, did he? It was given to him by the king." So he's open in prayer, fairly extensive, but as you read through it, if you read through the book of Nehemiah, it's good to read on Sunday afternoon, you'll realize that he was always in prayer. In fact, some of his prayers really could be uh, designed more than a lengthy, nice prayer, more than like a dark throat at God saying, here's one for you. And, and Nehemiah 2, 4 and 5, This is, I love this example, he says this, on one occasion, one of the Nehemiah was overwhelmed by the animosity of the people. It's an amazing story you should read, Nehemiah. This is around chapter 4. He said this, he said, So we prayed to our God and we posted guards. That's how that reads, verse 9 of Nehemiah 4. So we prayed to God, God protect us, and we posted guards. That's how prayer ought to be, by the way. It's it's action. Or how about in Nehemiah 2? He says, Then the king said unto me, this is Nehemiah 2, verses 4 and 5. For what dost thou request? In other words, Nehemiah is the cupbearer for the king. Everybody knows what a cupbearer is. Cupbearer is the one that gets to sample all the food before the king eats it. So the, so the cupbearer could, could uh, very easily die any day. If somebody was trying to poison the king, the cupbearer would die first. That's what his job was. So the king trusted him a long time and made sure. Here it is, for the king said unto me, for what dost thou make a request? In other words, what is it? He looks at Nehemiah and he says, something's wrong. What is it? So I pray, and, and, and if you read it, he says, so I prayed to the God of heaven and said to the king, if it please the king, if thy servant be found faithful in thy sight. Now Nehemiah's talking to the king now. That thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchre, that I may rebuild it. What a prayer. Let me do it again. King said to him, what's your request? Nehemiah says, so I prayed to the God of heaven and opened my mouth and said this to the king. If it please you, king, if thy servant to the king, to God, pleases the king, and if thy servant has found favor to the king, thou wilt send me into Judah and to the city of my fathers that I may rebuild it. And you know the story if you know Nehemiah. The king said, whatever you need. God did that, y'all, by the way. God did that. It weren't Nehemiah. God did that. Jesus tells His disciples this. He says, in Matthew 26, He says, watch and pray. He says, watch and pray. Be be careful you don't enter into temptation. He's he's doing this at the the garden. He says, indeed, you're willing, but the flesh is weak. The wonderful thing about prayer is, is you can be wore out. Or in Blaine County, we say, woe out. You're woe out. You're tired. You're you're ready to put it in, and it's only midday. And you're going, how am I going to make the rest of the day? Guess what? God knows you're woe out. He knows how tired you are. We're to lift up to Him and say, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to make the next step. And and just to be blank, I've been here for 11 years, so so y'all have heard me preach a lot. Sometimes I literally would come through that door and say, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. God, I don't know what you're going to do with this church, but I'm pumped out. I've got it all. But God's been faithful. God's been faithful. Think about what they're saying. Watch him pray. Jesus said this to his disciples. we are watch him pray because we don't want to be entered into any temptation from the evil one, right? From Satan. He says, because the flesh is willing, you want to do it. Spirit's weak. though. Sometimes the flesh is okay, but the spirit got a little work. We're kind of, kind of weak in the spirit area. But he says, indeed, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It goes both ways. And in this context, if you know the story here, this is right before the crucifixion, they didn't do either one, and they had some difficulties right afterwards. Paul said to the Ephesian elders, and this is in Acts, really good, Acts 20, starting with verse 30, 39. 31. 21. I'll get it right in a minute. I've said all the numbers. Let me get them in order: 29 to 31. There you go. For I know this, he says, that after my departing, grievous wolves shall be among you, not sparing the flock. He said, be careful, remember. Also of yourselves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw many disciples away. Therefore, watch and remember. That by the space of three years, I, Paul speaking, ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul was pleading with the church at Ephesus when I leave, you're going to have trouble. And that's always true when, uh, when God's man uh, is either turned away to another duty or goes home and, and you got something new coming in, you got to make sure you watch what it is. Was not everybody that, that claims to stand in front of a pulpit even knows what the Bible says about things. And I'll leave it at that. One preacher said this, and this is really good. Think about it. Christ is building a church on, on territory that is occupied by the enemy. You feel like that? So alertness is always something we should be in, in watching in prayer because we literally are living in a war zone. We literally are. So there are temptations that give us moments of pausing, moments of setback, and we're to make sure that we're praying and confessing and keeping our face in the Bible at all possible times. You know, has there ever been a time in your life when you've prayed a prayer and it's been a long, legitimate prayer for a long period of time and you may not have got the answer still yet, or the answer may not have been what you wanted. I would dare to say, without a show of hands, that that's probably touched everybody sometime, or it will before you die. That's one thing. So how are we supposed to explain the fact when God just doesn't seem to answer? Because a lot of people that are atheists, that's their beef with God. They, they asked for something, and God said no, and they got ticked at him, so they don't know any God. So think about this. You have some choices. Some of them are better than others. But how are we supposed to explain the fact that God doesn't seem to answer sometimes? And you can either give up. That's what a lot of people do. That's not a very good answer. But that's the easy one. Satan will want you just to give up. Or we could persevere in the knowledge of this when you pray. Say, Lord, you hadn't answered my prayer, but I know you love me. The Bible says you do and God reigns over the affairs of the universe, you believe that, and that God has a way that's always way above our thinking and probably best. The father who knows best determines how and when something is resolved. Parents who have maybe grandchildren, and and you're praying for the little grandchild, and, and maybe you go on to glory, and you don't know how that child turns out this side of heaven. The nice thing about it is when you get to heaven, that child makes it, you know, you got an answered prayer, right? So, so you'll you'll know eventually, unless you're praying for somebody to go to hell. I hope that's not it. Let you all snicker. That might be a prayer. Mm. Do you really believe because it's true that the heavenly Father does know best? Yeah, that's hard. That's a hard pill to swallow. for the last probably 15 years, ever since 9/11. When, when the churches were flooded with people that says I don't know how a loving God could do that. And the church is filled up with people. Some stayed, some left. But y'all, the answer to that then is the same answer today. God loves you. He's in, he controls the affairs of men everywhere, always. Proverbs says that God diverts the king's hearts like he diverts rivers. If you don't think that's true? Read Nehemiah. Nehemiah didn't necessarily have anything against, or Nehemiah's king didn't necessarily have anything against Nehemiah and his people, but they were captive under him and they were his slaves, so he didn't necessarily have a high opinion of those people. They were conquered, so to speak. So why on earth would Nehemiah do that? Nehemiah prayed to his king, his earthly king, that he was cupbearer of, and God moved in his heart. And Nehemiah got the the people and the resources to rebuild the walls. Think about it. If you've ever heard of, this is uh, just something to think about. If, if you think about Lee Strobel, he's a guy that was an investigative reporter and that he was set out, if you know his story, he was set out to disprove the Bible. So that didn't necessarily mean he had any religious background. I don't know all of it, but just the highlights of it. So he's an so investigative reporter for a big magazine or newspaper. And he wants to shoot a hole in the Bible. I'm going to prove it don't exist or I'm going to prove it's a big fake. And through God's providence, he's wrote a lot of amazing books and is saved and speaks and he's a preacher now. I'm going to ask you a question. How did that happen? Think about it. Don't, don't say it out loud. I'm going to give you two options. And you pick which one you're thinking of. How did that happen? How did Lee Strobel all of a sudden decide to be a soldier for God, to be a saint? One answer might be that God looked down and said, hey, that's a smart boy there. I think I can use him. And he did it. How many think that's the way it happened? Or before Lee Strobel was ever born, God said, that man's going to work for me. He's going to be my saint. He ushered his life, every step of his life. Do you, and, and when he bowed and said, yes, this is it, God ushered it in. So you need to do a a paper on the, on, the, on the Bible and through God's providence, He is what He is today. That started at the womb before Lee Strobel was ever born. Do you believe that? That's God. See, we got such a small picture of God, we don't think He's worthy to praise. We don't think He's worthy to even talk about or pray to because, hey, He's just reactive. He's got a knee jerk. You know, we're going to do this today because so and so's is doing No, He controls everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly are always ushered in by God. So think about it. Father knows best. Spurgeon said this one time. He said, I love Spurgeon. He's dead and gone. He can't do anything wrong, and he's finished solid. I love to talk about Spurgeon. Spurgeon said this about blessings. He said, some are ripe like fruit, ready to just fall off in your hand. They're so ready. But some of the blessings, you actually need to shake the tree to get them going. He said, some of the blessings are like ripe fruit. They're just going to fall in your hands when you touch it. And some of them you got to go up and shake the tree to get what you need. You understand what that means, don't you? Sometimes you need to go before the throne and just stay. When you got something on your heart that's burdening you, and you can't put a finger on it, you can't figure out what it is, but you know God's got it and you don't know what it is, and you want to know, you just sit down and you pray to God. You plead with Him to tell you. For whatever it is on your heart, if it's a grandchild coming to the Lord, whatever it is, if you... Pour yourself into it. Spurgeon says, Sometime you might shake that tree to get some blessings to fall out. You never know what you can do with prayer. But I know what you can't do with prayer, and that is not use it and expect it to be very faithful. And you know, sometimes the answer is not what we want. It's just literally not what we want, the answer from God. God, I want to be, I want to be seven foot tall, Weigh 150 pounds and in perfect health. health. I got a know. by the way. I got a know. I'm shorter than that, fatter than that, and uglier than that. But that's okay. But some things are a lot more serious than that. We prayed for loved ones that went on to see him. And you go, I don't understand why I like that person. Why didn't they stay here? God's ways are always best. I could get all bent out of shape about a half-sister. I bet most of y'all probably know that. I've got a half-sister named Ann that's buried out there in in the grave here at Briar Branch. I could get all self-consumed about wanting to know her. I've got a couple of pictures with her in it, holding my sister, and I'm in diapers. That's how young it was. I don't really remember much about her. But it's daddy's first child. But I don't. God does that because Satan would want to drive me nuts on about that. But I won't let him. It's, It's what it is. So sometimes God doesn't give us the answer we want. I'm telling you, you're just going to have to trust Him because He does know best. So we have to make sure we acknowledge. You know, part of prayer is actually telling God and praising God just because He is God. Not because you're liking what's going on in your life, but because He's still God. Think about Paul and Silas where they were in the chains. And in, in, in the, uh, the Romans had them chained up. And they were praising God. They weren't saying, God, why did you let me get, I'm in shackles now, God, what's up? They didn't do that, did they? The Bible says they, Paul and Silas started praying and singing. Praises to God. Casting Crown come out a long time ago with a song, I will praise you in this storm. Think about that. You bet all of y'all are either in a storm or will be in a storm. That's part of life. You'll be in a storm or you're... One day you're, or you're still in it, or one day you will be in one, or you'll be in another one, because we have storms in our lives. And that song, it's, it's an old one. It came out in the mid 2000, 2003 or five or something like. That. I don't know. Pretty old song, but it says, "I will lift my hands to the God of the Maker and Sustainer of life, because He's God and He's worthy, not because I'm happy with what's going on, because that's my will against His will." So we got to make sure as a saint that we're doing thy will be done, not my will. Because I do things a lot differently and y'all probably wouldn't like it if my will went. Probably the same with y'all. If your will went and God's will didn't go, probably things would be a lot different than they are. So our prayers individually and corporately will always deteriorate and finally stutter to a halt when we quit making the prayers known to God in, in supplication and adoration to Him. So what is God's plan? What has God promised to do? If you ever want to know what God promised, go to Revelation chapter 7 and read verse 9. It reads as follows As He promised, as He's promised, there's going to be put together a people of every tribe, nation, language, and tongue gathered around the throne in heaven. That's our job. Make sure of people that we have contact with that we're the people that need to be to make sure somebody else... Can you imagine the charge? And, and you may have done it. You, you may have done this and, and you know what I'm fixing to say or know about it. Have you ever got the charge of actually seeing someone that you've talked to, the Holy Spirit working them and they actually get saved? And you say, I had a small part in that. I was faithful to God. Or even when I was not as faithful as I should have been, He still used me and that person come to a saving knowledge of grace. Parents, I'm going to give you a a little hint. All of you that have saved children, that's what happened. That's what happened. God was faithful, not necessarily because you were always faithful, but you were faithful some, and God was faithful. So make sure we don't ever lose the power of prayer. So our task that's assigned to us as saints, it's still unfinished, and it is to reach the world for Jesus. That's still the the marching orders of the church. It's the unfinished task that will never expire until we have God-centered prayers in our lives and in our homes, and then God will move amongst the people, and things will happen that you never thought possible. But without sensible, sincere, spirit-filled, outpouring of a soul to God, asking him for such things that he's promised, we, we will remain in a stalemate. And that's really what happened, what's really happened to America in specific. We, we, as, we as a Christian church in America has almost reached a stall. We say, well, less people are coming to church, less people are, are being saved, baptism rates are way down, and we're going, woe is us. Well, a lot of people are sitting around waiting for somebody else to do it, and we're not praying for the people around us. We're not praying for the people that sit next to us on a given Sunday morning. We're not praying for the coworker that you're working with in a given week. We're not praying for our family. So we need to make sure we have sincere, sensible, spirit-filled, and biblical-based prayers that go up to God collectively and individually so we don't become really stagnant and America can see America be great again. That's a challenge, ain't it? It's a challenge. So let's pray. Dear God, As we've seen the awesomeness of prayer, that what it can do, Lord, we also know here in America of what the absence of prayer can do. Lord, I pray that Briar Branch will be a church walking worthy of your calling. Lord, that we'll be found faithful, that one day we'll see around the throne all those people that we may be new. Lord, we may have planted a seed. Lord, we may have not been so faithful, but somebody else was, and they're in heaven. Lord, let us be found faithful. And Lord, we love you. and We know that there's no other God but you. And Lord, let us walk as people that actually believe that. In Jesus' name, amen.